0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Rundown. Uh, Today, I've got the honor of interviewing someone who started work early. Let's try 14. Went to medical school at 17. Uh, Got his MBA in finance because, you know, medicine and finance, they go hand in hand. But today, I'm talking to Grupreet Pada, who is out of St. Louis. Grupreet, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: So, Gupreet, tell us a little bit about you and how you got to where you're at in your, uh, in your real estate journey.
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I started extremely early. Um, I started running a construction company when I was 14 years old. I, I realized that I had really bad ADD, and I had to do a bunch of different stuff. And so I started off mowing people's grass. And then I found other things at their houses that they needed to have done. And eventually, I ended up realizing that I could hire other people to work for me. And so I was a little kid in high school and having my workers drop me off every day in their trucks because I was too young to drive. And I would take their phone calls in the, in the, gym, in the gym or in the, in the cafeteria during lunch and tell them what to do. So I was having guys that were 30, 40 years old working for me and I was 14, 15, and 16. So oh. I, got, I got an early start in trying to manage people and understanding construction. So unfortunately, I probably made a lot of stupid mistakes at first in construction. And I learned the extremely hard way how to bid jobs, how to put people together, and how to make those mistakes. And I learned from every one of them. Every one of the things that I did wrong, I improved and sequentially got better. Eventually by the time I was, I I went to medical school when I was 17, eventually during medical school, I still was really interested in projects, but I needed stuff that I could do more passively because I couldn't really run teams of people anymore. Um, And so I started to get into passive real estate, trying to buy buildings, um, buy things at auction, buy projects. And so I, I steadily went through that and eventually... Now, you know, 35 years later, we own about a half million square feet of commercial, uh, a couple hundred units of multifamily, and I've done just about every stupid kind of thing that a person can do. Uh, And I've made plenty of mistakes and learned along the way. Um, And I also ended up getting a a degree in finance because I was very, very curious about about economics and understanding how the economic system impacts our ability to to function as human beings. I, I got into it because I was interested in cost benefit studies on medications. But then I was able to extrapolate that back to my career in in real estate and dealing with people. Um, and well, so look, I've done a lot of, lot of silly stuff along yeah, the way.
0: Well, you know, it's funny, though, when you're, when, you're seven, when you're 14 years old, you're looking to make enough money to buy some bubble gum. Uh, but, you know, as you as you progress, I mean, obviously, that that grows into the real world. But, you know, what's funny is because I've always said that I, I did not go to college uh, and, and I've always said, you know, I paid for my college courses uh, with the mistakes I've made. So it's nice to hear someone who actually went to college still had to pay the hard knocks that I paid growing up uh, with with the mistakes. But, you know, don't you find that it's the mistakes that teach you the most?
1: The mistakes are the only thing that teach you, but for the mistakes, you didn't learn anything in yeah. any class that I did perfect in. That's the class I learned the least in right. because I didn't know what I did wrong. And my son actually said this to me once he was probably 14. He'd done a test and, you know, he's like, surprisingly, I did better than expected. And I said, what does that mean? He like, I got a hundred percent. I said, well, that's great. He goes, no, it means I don't know what I don't know. And I just happened to get the right answers. And thats it's not going to have taught me anything. Um, So I I think that we really should cherish our mistakes and know that we tested the entire model and figured out where the dead spots were and which way we shouldn't go. Because if you don't make that mistake, you're going to end up or at least learn from somebody else's mistake. And right. that's even more important. I mean, right. I'd rather way rather learn from somebody else's mistake and see what they did wrong to make sure I don't do that again.
0: But you know, how hard is it for us to actually see what they did and take it to heart like the mistakes that we've paid for with our own blood and our own money?
1: It's really hard. And, and it, most people will not admit their mistakes. Right. Uh, people hide their mistakes yeah. and they typically will not share those with you. And that's why, it, you know, I have to tell you, I probably spent three quarters of a million dollars in all of my formal education, but I probably spent over a million and a half in my informal education. Um, And those informal educations, getting people to help me learn in a field that I wasn't familiar with. So when I did mobile home parks, I didn't just suddenly decide that I could run a, a 200 unit mobile home park. I went out and I got somebody who was really good at it so that I didn't make the same mistakes and I had them walk me through it and understand it. And I, I didn't just rely on the fact that they said they could do it. I tested them to see if they could do it and, and I went back and looked at the projects that they'd already done and, and vetted them that way. Um, so I don't really, I, I don't just assume that I can do it. There's a lot of stuff I can do, but I still rely on experts that really can help guide me to the right answer. And share with me their mistakes so I don't have to repeat it.
0: But, you know, wouldn't you say that that's taking you 30 years to learn?
1: Yeah, and I could have learned it a lot quicker if I wasn't so hard-headed. <laughs> I, I wish I hadn't been.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I had the conversation with a gentleman today, and he's like, you know, what would you tell your 19-year-old self? Not to be so independent, you know, to be able to talk with other people and and learn from them and partner with them and, and, you know, go through this process together instead of being so independent and hard headed that I had to learn it myself, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's my other issue. I mean, this is personal. I'm a, I'm an introvert. And so for me, it's very hard to trust in other people um, on the outside. And I don't naturally just accept somebody else's answer. Um, I'm skeptical, and I'm introverted, and I typically will um, will will spend a lot of time thinking about stuff. I'm not somebody that can go into a room and meet fifteen people, and so I wish that I had um, I had overcome some of my introverted nature sooner. Um, and so I with my own kids, I I spent a lot of time coaching them and having them understand that they had to be more. A slightly more extroverted or introverted with a purpose and accept people's guidance i think it's really important and, and if you don't do that you, you screw yourself over time
0: we've got the we've got this great economy with some serious struggles based on the COVID environment based on inflation that was coming anyway where do you see i mean talk about learning from our mistakes right we saw 07 08 taught us that you know not everything's going to be like it was yesterday. What is this economy showing you?
1: I think it's a couple different things happening at the same time. Um, and I think we should take it in phases. So first of all, economic crashes don't happen catastrophically and suddenly and then go away. Um, economic crashes happen and they slowly go away. The stock market is not the economy. The stock market goes up and down rapidly. The stock market predicts the economy three to six months later. So I'm in the stock market, but not very much. I'm more of a real estate investor. So the stock market tells me that shit went bad and unemployment went up and people couldn't buy things. And then the stock market recovered. That doesn't mean that the general economy has recovered because our unemployment level is still high. So our demand for goods and services is going to be depressed. We're artificially, however, inflating our demand because we keep pumping money in. And so we think that our demand is stable, but our unemployment levels are high and we're prohibiting people from getting evicted. Uh, And the CDC just came out yesterday that, that the CDC combined with the Health and Human Services recommending that people not get evicted. And so the, it extended the previous eviction moratorium. Uh, and so we're seeing an artifice. We're not seeing a true economy. We're actually seeing a buffered economy. Our, our, we have a V-shaped recovery right now because we've pumped up the stock market. We have not seen the real estate decay yet because we're artificially keeping people with some degree of money, and we're preventing evictions. Um, so we're not seeing the true economy. Uh, I think you're going to see a couple different things. We've pumped a bunch of money in. We will eventually see inflation, but first we're going to see deflation because people are saving, and they're hanging on to their money, and they're not, there's not a huge amount of demand for goods. So prices are dropping for certain things, um, and then they'll inflate later. the other thing that we have to be very careful of is that this may be a bigger monetary shift than we are expecting. Um, Right now, the US is the reserve currency of the world. That may not be the case in a year or two. Uh, We're not on a gold standard, we're a fiat currency, and we don't know what's actually going on. There's an entire division of the US government that is looking at the ability to go to a digital currency. And if that goes through, we may have a whole different monetary system that is not represented by the U.S. dollar. It may be an E-dollar or some other form of something. Um, And and there's no, you know, we're the best looking pig in the pigsty because there's no other country that's really doing it better than we are. So despite the fact that we went to shit in a handbasket, other people are in worse shape. So we're still more of a reserve currency than other currencies, and unless somebody figures out a way to to go to a gold standard or some other unique standard that is not fungible or fiatable, um, we're probably still going to be okay, but we're not going to be perfect. So there's a there's there's a crosswinds that we should be really aware of, and it's not. If I told you today that I expect hyperinflation in six months, I'd be lying. And if I told you I expect deflation, I'd be lying. I I think that we don't have enough information. And I think that this is too brittle of an economy. What I can tell you is what we're going to see will dramatically change, no matter what happens to our presidential election, right after the election. If if the Democrats win or the Republicans win, it doesn't matter something is going to change. And my suspicion is our economy will, that's when we'll really see what's going on because both sides will, there won't be an impetus to to hang on. I suspect we're going to have an issue in November, probably at the end of October, beginning of November. Um,
0: The curtain will start to be pulled back on where we're really at and the wizard will be shown. Is that kind of what you're, what you're Yeah.
1: I think that the quantitative easing will, will change. We historically have felt that digitally increasing our treasury somehow creates more money in in, in our banking system. But it doesn't do that directly. What happens is that we're actually giving more resources to our banks, having them able to lend more money um, these are, are bank reserves. So the money that we're printing actually goes into bank reserves. The money that we're, the Treasury Department is using to buy up stock and bond, that's a different story. But the money that they're giving to the banks goes to bank reserve. And bank reserve is proportional to lending capacity. So lending capacity has gone up, but true lending has not gone up. Right. And so, so we actually, even though we're putting a bunch of money in, we're not putting the money in that we think we are.
0: Well, and we've also we're starting to see again where banks aren't wanting to lend because they're unsure of the economy and they don't like to lend on things that they can't control and as far as where the economy is going. And so we've also seen you know lenders pull back and not do as much lending as as the Fed had hoped or as the the consumer had hoped.
1: Yeah, um, like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are now requiring twelve months of reserve. And right. So- the, when you when you're doing your cap rate calculation for a multifamily, and now you have to put in 12 months reserve, that's going to affect your cap rate. So that means it increases the amount of money that you have to fund the project with, right. and put that money aside. And it essentially, for you know, th- that's that's not a small chunk of change. That might be five percent of the project right. um, that you that you've raised.
0: So where do you see, with with everything you've talked about, where do you see real estate as a whole going? Are we still going to continue to see prices rise, rents rise? Are we still going to see a fairly robust real estate economy? Or do you think that's going to also ease?
1: You know, it's hard to tell. And I I don't want to vacillate on an answer, but it's really hard to tell. Here's my thoughts. Um, I think it's segregated by the type of asset. So I suspect that Class A assets in urban areas are going to get hit hard. People will leave urban areas. They will go slightly more rural. And if, if it is possible for them not to have to work at an office building, they're going to take that option. Um, and there are some businesses that are going to allow people to work from home. And work from home in San Francisco could mean that you live in Montana. Um, and so I can see these dense urban areas that are extremely expensive, that have Class A housing, have a significant reduction in the amount of property being used. Class B and Class C properties, I actually think, are going to do rather well. Um, And even if we have inflation, what's going to be, what's going to happen is that you're going to be able to adjust your rents pretty quickly who's going to get hurt are retail centers that have five year leases because these people are still going to have five year leases and you can't inflation adjust you can't say oh true inflation went to 10% this year and i'm going to make an adjustment because we have a false inflation rate of 2 to 3% which doesn't really you know it doesn't reflect all of the goods and services that we have to buy um, and so for some odd reason You know with a two to three percent inflation rate but the real inflation rate being seven to ten percent if you look at shadow stats it's going to be a problem and if you own a retail center and you're leased out for five years you got a problem so I think that larger long-term leases are going to have difficulties. So industrial property with long-term leases, retail centers with long-term leases, those are going to have problems. I think short-term leases will adjust to the economic winds as, as they happen nearly in real time. I think single-family residences could go better, could get worse, but I don't see people buying a lot of condos in high-rises in urban dense areas. I would see that people would go to mid areas. I think that they would go to rural areas, or suburban areas.
0: You know, I just, I was pulling up an article that I read earlier today that uh, said that people in uh, uh, 40% of uh, American city dwellers with children were now considering a move up 35% from earlier this year. It also showed a statistic that in San Francisco, a place you mentioned, uh, there were 20 homes on the market and today uh, versus February, there was 20 homes available. It was a 20 year to date change in home sales. There was, there's been an 80% change in the number of homes being sold in San Francisco from the beginning of this year. Um, that's a rapid increase. And that is people doing exactly what you said, working from, you know, when you're looking at the cost of homes in, I mean, I live in Idaho, right? And you can buy a three bedroom, two bath home in Idaho, 20 minutes from the state capitol for $280,000. You know, where in California, you know, in San Francisco, that's not going to buy you a mailbox. Um, And so when people are now looking at the fact that they can live and work from somewhere else, they're going to make that decision. And then what happens to the retailers? You know, we know Amazon is swooping in. Uh, I, I also saw a uh, top 10 stock picks of this year, and it's it's everything from Spotify to, you know, to Zoom, which we're using here, to, uh, you know, Tesla's up 440%. Uh, but then, you know, so are Amazon and so are, you know, all the other uh, Wayfarers. Uh, everything that has to do with shopping from home or or dislocating yourself from the retail center and moving your whole existence to Montana or Wyoming, where you have those wide open spaces and your, and your money buys a lot of house. That's a that's a real thing now that um, that's seen a lot of change. And as we as we watch what's gonna happen, I think you, you are correct that we're gonna see a huge shift in the demographic of where America chooses to live because now again we're gonna start looking at it going, Do I really have to live here? I think we're at an age where modern history is going to be changed by our by our economic or our, our electronic ability to do what we were confined to the to an office space or to a, to a city to do, now we can do from anywhere. I mean, this, this whole interview process was not, not feasible like this even five years ago.
1: And it wasn't even feasible like this two years ago. From my perspective, I've always thought, you know, you live where you wanna live and you invest where you need to invest. So I extrapolate this even further and say, look, where does my dollar buy me a future? Um, It's not, what is my dollar buy me today? It is, what are the tailwinds that are going to carry me forward? Because inflation and loss of population are tremendous headwinds. So you should not restrict yourself to looking at the locality that you're in, and you should not restrict yourself to looking at the locality in your own country. I think that that's a mistake. I think that as investors, we should look outside of ourselves and ask ourselves, where in the world is the population growing? And where in the world can we move to with our dollars and our investment? We don't have to physically move there, but that we can generate a rate of return and so I think that that's where I'm headed now is to, is to figure out where in the world. So have you
0: figured out where in the world?
1: There's a few places that are very interesting um, for me. And everybody has their own thoughts. I'm looking at demographic areas that are rapidly growing. I'm looking at demographic areas that have pretty good intelligence as in terms of their population that have high, you know, high amounts of education. And I also want transparency in their legal system. Um, Just same thing I would look at in the United States. I want to be investing in an area that has a business-friendly legal system. Um, And so some of those areas are places like Colombia. It's English speaking. Uh, Some of the other places, You could consider investing in India. Uh, You could consider investing in North Africa. You could look at Nigeria. There's a few places like that that have population growth, robust economies, uh, that do have the rule of law, uh, although it's a little sketchy sometimes, and you know, you you would be stable. I looked at Greece a few years ago when it fell apart, not because I thought that it was a great place for demographics, but I thought, you know, anytime you can buy something undervalued, that you're buying it five cents on the dollar, as long as you sell it for 30 cents on the dollar, you still made good money and you're not going to hang on to it till you can make 80 cents on the dollar. So I, I look at things in transition. And for God's sakes, I'm in St. Louis, and St. Louis is a cash flow city. Um, It does not appreciate large amounts, so I look for distressed assets in my own environment because I understand it and I can get to it easily, but I typically will buy stuff at 20 to 30 cents on the dollar and then sell it for 50 to 70 cents. Um, and I can do that and still make good money because it's, it's, it's a transitional period, but that's not, if I wanted to hands off it, that's not where I would invest. I would look for that demographic surge.
0: So is that typically where you invest is, is in St. Louis or are you all over the United States?
1: I'm all over the US. Um, We have investments in Dallas, Texas. We have investments in Houston. We have investments in Phoenix. Uh, We have investments in a few places in South Carolina. I pick the states that have good systems uh, that have demographic growth, except if I'm looking for something that's extremely distressed, then I don't care about the headwinds as much because I know my time horizon is only two or three years or less. And so that's more of a, it's a flip and it's, it's a, it's a good flip and I'll make some money at it. And then I'll, I'll just go merrily on my way. Sometimes you get bored when you're doing a project and you run across something that's interesting. It's a shiny object and you might want to do that. Spoken Um,
0: like a true ADD sufferer.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you just want to, you want to, you want to do stuff that's interesting and, and sometimes, you know, running a B grade or C grade apartment complex uh, is not necessarily fascinating, but rehabbing a church into twenty units of, of of amazing property that has, you know, thirty foot ceilings is really cool and it makes you feel good. Um, I'm somebody that where did you know
0: that in St. St. Louis.
1: In St. Louis. I you know, I, I took an old waterworks building down here and turned it into a six hundred seat um, um, barbecue restaurant. And uh-huh. and so it's amazing facility it's seventeen thousand square feet um, i started off my life as a vegetarian uh and went through my life as a vegetarian until i ran to gates barbecue in kansas city and uh one day wasn't vegetarian uh, and so then i got fascinated by barbecue and so yeah. i ended up doing a barbecue restaurant in st louis eventually
0: so do you own the restaurant or did you just uh, are you, are you uh we,
1: we my business partner and i um started the restaurant, put the recipes together, traveled all over to probably 200 other barbecue restaurants, um, and figured out the recipes that we wanted, hired the chefs, owned, operated, constructed, did everything, ran it for about four years, um, and then decided that we needed to do another project. And so we sold the business, but we own the properties, and we own the intellectual property behind it.
0: So when you're looking at Real estate, are you strictly value add? Are you strictly distressed? Are you strictly what is do you just have one that you do, or do you just know that fundamentals are fundamentals and you can apply those to different asset classes, asset types, towns? How do you come up with what you're going to do? Well,
1: there's a couple of things. One, it has to comport with my personality, which is ADD, so I like. I like things in motion. So I'm not somebody that's going to be a bond investor looking at a one and a half percent return and hands off. So it has to be something that's interesting. It has to generate enough cash flow. So my IRR has to be greater than 15% or I won't touch it. Um, It has to be something that has a good purpose. It's going to end up creating a community. So I typically will do things in an edge area Um, just because I want to change community. Uh, We just took over a 24 unit in the worst part of the hood, uh, literally a week ago. Uh, It was a California investor, purchased it for 2.9 million, 24 units. Uh, In six months, it became a a den of prostitutes and hookers and meth heads. And it just turned into shit. I ended up buying it from them for $600,000 after they bought it for almost three. Um, and the first thing I did was I put in lighting and because they had not put in lighting, I put in security cameras and then I paid a security guard and I cut all the brush down so people couldn't hide. And then I'm going to go through and rehab each of those units. The, the building, uh, the replacement cost in the building is 5 million. I bought the thing for 600,000. Yeah. Um I'm not going to lose money at it. It cash flows right now at 1.8 million. It would cash flow at 1.8 million, uh with a 7 cap. So it's doing well. And but I like the area and I'm going to turn that area around and I'm going to buy the buildings adjacent to it and we're going to we're going to rejuvenate the area. Um I think that it'll give people a good place to live.
0: You know and and I think that that's that's amazing because you know here we are we're sitting in the environment of covid where the landlord has been painted as this beast, as this you know, family eating monster because he would throw people out over you know, the fact that the rent isn't collected or this or that. When in reality, you know, most landlords are people trying to make a living as well. And, and most people don't understand that landlords buy in an area to improve, to be part of the community because that's what we know to do. I mean we invest in areas because we can see potential in things not that we just want to accumulate and 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 have a portfolio just to say we have but we also care about the community and we're giving back and we're we're improving that kind of stuff. And you know that's awesome to see and and I think more often than not I see people who are interested in doing those things for communities because they understand that that community is really their customer. It's not just the one building. It's the whole community. And just like you saw your one building start pulling the community down, you can see your one building start to rise, raise the community up. And that's awesome. That's awesome. And
1: yeah, we, we've done this over and over again. So it has to be something of, of intrinsic, interesting value. Um, I'll give you another example. So there was a, and I, you know, for me, I always try to figure out a leverage position, and I always try to figure out my unique talent in a particular thing. So if I did that in the stock market and I knew some special piece of information, I'd be in federal penitentiary. But if if you use your unique talent and special knowledge in real estate, people give you attaboys and tell you what a great job you've done. So I'll give you an example. I found out on a Friday at about 4.45 p.m., that a federally qualified healthcare corporation had been given a grant to put a healthcare clinic in a particular eight block area of a city on Friday at 4 45. And I knew that they all go home at three. So they weren't going to find out till Monday. I also knew that there were very few buildings that they could occupy and they had three months to get that. So all day, Saturday and all day, Sunday, I drove around that area. I identified every building they could get into and I put each one of them under a lease option purchase. And I found every owner and by Monday, they got their notice and by Wednesday is when they started to look for these buildings. Every building they came to, I already had a lease option purchase on. They ended up renting from me because I was the only one that they could rent from. I had special knowledge. Um, I ended up acquisitioning just straightforward with the numbers it's I ended up acquisitioning a building eventually for them. Uh, the building is probably worth about eight hundred thousand. I got it under lease option for about two hundred thousand. I ended up leasing it to them because it's a federal grant um, for probably about six thousand a month and so you know it, it's a nice cash flow it's triple yeah. net four or five thousand dollars of cash flow per month yeah. um, and I use special knowledge that I pay attention to the bidding process for these, for these grants. And, and then I had the wherewithal to go out and, and figure it out. You know, I'm willing to do things that other people are unwilling to do. I was willing to waste my Saturday and Sunday to drive around in the worst part of town and identify every possible structure that could be done. And then I had enough common sense to put it under contract because I'd done it before. And, and I put it under contract. I was able to pull it off.
0: What do, you say, what do you say to the person that comes to you and says, hey, I want to get involved in real estate because your real estate game is pretty elevated. I mean, you're not new to this, number one. Number two, you're incredibly intelligent. Whether you give yourself credit for it or not, you, you, you have a, an incredible sense of intelligence as well as, as, as a sense of community and drive beyond that. What do you say to a new guy trying to get into this?
1: Um, I help you people all the time. And so I, you know, if somebody comes to me and wants information, I try to provide everything that I can give them, but I also tell them, start with what you have. Start small, make your mistakes, do the small project, participate alongside somebody, watch them make their mistakes. do it passively. If you have to learn from the mistake, if you have to passively invest and do a small amount, do it. And then pretend like it's, you're the whole project, you have to start somewhere, you're not going to be born fully grown the first day that you're out. So you're gonna, it's going to take you time and have the patience to learn from those mistakes and really absorb them. There's so much free information on the internet. And most of it is pretty good. I wish I'd had a lot of that information when I grew up. It, it I simply didn't. So I made more mistakes than I should have. But I think that you, you really have to start. You know, you can't be paralyzed and just say, well, I'll get to it. I wish I had started five years before I started. I wish I had made less mistakes. I wish I had done blah blah blah. It doesn't matter. I did what I did and anybody can do it, but they just have to start. And you have to get over that initial inertia.
0: You know, and and that is such important information. I mean really for people to 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 get past the analysis paralysis. And to look at your basket and see what you have into it and say, these are my talents, this is what I can do. And to make those useful, you know, uh, is such an important thing because you can sit there and say, Well, I don't have a lot of money, or I don't have inside information, knowledge. No, but you've got gumption and you've got this and you've got the ability to find that. And if you put yourself, like you said, pair yourself with others who have the ability to do the things that you can't, that that you can learn from you'll grow faster than, than you grew because you're able to stand alongside them and watch how they do what they do. Well, Gupri, I really appreciate talking to you. It's been an amazing conversation. How can people find you to find out more about you and, and to see more about what you've got going on? So probably the
1: easiest is just to go to our website. We don't sell anything. Um, and if somebody you know is interested in educational material, we have a ton of it. And we actually we do produce a course that we sell, but I give it away if anybody asks. Um, we just put a price on it. But the reality is we give it away. Uh, it, if they email me info at redpillcapital, capital with a K dot com, or just go to our website, they can connect up to us there. Uh, I'm active on Instagram and we're active on LinkedIn. My whole goal is to share as much as I can free info and if somebody has a project that, that they've got that they need help with, I'd be happy to help. We have a lot of resources made enough mistakes that it, I can usually point out the errors early. And, and you know there's all kinds of amazing tools that we have at our disposal. And unless you realize that they're out there, you could hurt yourself. And so you know there's nothing that's daunting in real estate that somebody already hasn't done. And so you just have to know enough people to figure out who knows who, that can get you to the correct answer. And if the deal is good enough, people will come to you almost. So that's the other thing. If you go to three people, and they're in the field, and none of them really want to do the deal, that deal might not be that good. You may be deluding yourself. And I've done that a few times.
0: So now we can make a spreadsheet, say anything we want.
1: Yeah. And so now I won't. Now what I do is I rely on people that probably know more than I do on that particular asset class. And if they say that doesn't make sense, I don't try to fight them. I say, well, how can I make it make sense? Or what should I do different that should enhance that position? Um, And there's a lot of tools out there that we just completely ignore. And there's a lot of moving parts. And so you just have to to understand that.
0: Well, Gupreet, I really appreciate you stopping by and giving us your information, giving us more importantly, some of your time. You've got so much uh, great knowledge and everything. I really appreciate you sharing that with myself and my listeners here on The Real Estate Rundown. Thank you again for stopping by.
1: Sure, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: So everybody, catch us next time for more great information and guests, just like Gupreet, who are sharing their intimate knowledge of the real estate and how things work in our market. So guys, thanks for stopping by The Real Estate Rundown. We'll see you next time.